If I was going to title tonight's sermon, I would call it, What is this life? After the apostles had been brought out of jail, they were, they were told by the angel to go and tell all the people what this life is all about. And so tonight I'm going to attempt to answer that question. What is this life? This morning, I know I drove some of you nuts by not having an outline with distinguishable points and a format. And so tonight I'm going to make up for it. I was going to share with you 12 points. 12 points to define life as a member of Christ church. But as I was developing those 12 points into a manuscript, as I, you can see that I, I kind of follow a manuscript here, I started to realize that maybe that was a little overkill. Not that you all wouldn't love to sit here for the next hour and 15 to 20 minutes and listen to me preach, you know, probably one of the best sermons you've ever heard, right? But uh, for the sake of time, I've trimmed it down to just six. So we're going we're gonna to push through six points tonight. And the other six points are still there, by the way. I've got them set aside for the next time I get to fill this pulpit. So keep, your, uh, keep yourselves tuned to that. So let's get started. Number one, this life is a life of mission. If we read Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we see there that, that Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is where we find our mission as followers of Jesus. As His church, this is where we find our purpose. This is where we discover the reason why God has saved us. To make excuses for not doing this is to make excuses for not following Jesus. The purpose of Christ coming to die on the cross was so that you and I could be saved and then sent out to be missionaries into the world to take the gospel. I all of a sudden came on there. We don't get to sit on our salvation. We don't get to punch our tickets to heaven and ride it out until it's time to go home. No. The Bible teaches that we have been redeemed to go and show the world who Jesus is. So this life has a mission. Now if you're looking at the mission and thinking, that's a little much, then you're not alone. It is a little much, especially when you consider the circumstances of the time the mission was given. When Jesus gave His church their mission, He was only speaking to a handful of people. He had just been crucified as a lunatic the world had denied Christ after He performed many miracles and provided many signs and wonders that attested to His validity as the Messiah. So, after He had been risen from the dead, He looks at a few of His followers and says, Go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. The whole world. Get your passports. Start raising your money. Pack your bags and go. Yeah, that's, that's a little much, isn't it? Jesus knew that what He was asking His followers was way more than they could accomplish on their own. 
But I'm so glad that we serve a God who has thought through all the details, aren't you? See, our Lord knowing that He was asking an impossible mission. He, he, he was giving us an impossible mission if left to the abilities of our, own, of our own hands. And so what He has done is He has provided the church with an infinitely powerful helper to accomplish His mission. In Acts 1.8 we read that Jesus told His followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's that mission again. You're going to go. You're going to go into the entire world and you're going to, to let the world know who I am. You're going to teach them the commands that I've given you. You're going to train them in how to follow me. But He says you're not going to have to do that alone. Number two, the second point after this is a life of mission, that this is a life of power. So this mission we've been given isn't something God expects us to do on our own. Isn't that good? We have been given a helper. We have been plugged in to the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you guys realize that? That the very power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that lives in you and me if we are in Christ. This is what makes success of the mission possible. As a follower of Christ, you have been given literally the power to change the world with the gospel. If you are in Christ, then you have access to all the power you need to accomplish the great mission our Lord has handed us. When we fail to carry out the mission, it is not for a lack of resources. It is not because we don't have enough money. It is not because we aren't educated enough or talented enough or gifted enough. When the church doesn't carry out its mission, it is because the church has chosen to disobey its Lord. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that we have no valid excuses for not doing what the Lord has called us to do. So this life is about mission, and this life is about power, but this life is also about unity. If you look at Acts 1.14, we see that all these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. We see over and over again in the New Testament that living as a follower of Christ should unite us with our fellow Christians. The success of the mission depends on our willingness to work with one another in unity. The health of our church depends on our ability to live in unity with one another. Do you know what this means? This means that we are going to have to take the Bible seriously when it says that we should do all things without grumbling and complaining. It means that we are going to have to obey the Word of God when we are told to consider others' needs as more important than our own. Having unity within the church begins when all of our lives are focused on the same thing. This is why Christ gave us our mission. The church has a mission so that the church can be unified by one Spirit to accomplish one purpose. The reason that there's distraction and division and, and discontinuity in the church is because we get our eyes focused on something other than the mission. We get our eyes focused on something other than the gospel. We get our eyes focused on something other than Christ. That's when division 
happens. That's whenever, whenever unity is sacrificed in the church. There's a lot that needs to be done in order to do what Jesus has called us to do as a church. Some of you in here know that you could be doing more. Some of you have been going to this church for years and years and years and you've heard pleas over and over and over again that we need help in this ministry and we need help in this ministry and we need somebody to come and rock these babies and we need somebody to help in Awanas. We need somebody to help in extended sessions. And, and all the while you've been saying, well, I did my time and now it's time for somebody else to step up. And, and that's just not what we can do. If you can, you should. For the unity of the church so that the work gets done, so that the gospel can be shared. This life of following Christ is a life of unity with other believers. And unity leads to number four, fellowship. This life is a life of fellowship. And again, that's one of those church words, so let me explain to you what that looks like. Look at Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Do you see that? That when the church has a mission and the church is acting in power and the church is unified and the church has fellowship, then the Lord adds to its numbers. Because people want to be a part of something like that. People want to be a part of the genuine movement of the gospel. Because they see how it changes their lives and they see how it can enhance who they are and it can give them a purpose and a meaning that they can find nowhere outside the church. One of the most wonderful aspects of living this life as a follower of Christ is that I get to live it in the context of fellowship with so many of you. Since becoming the youth pastor of this church nearly three years ago, I have seen God work in my life as I have walked through many very tough and trying times with some of you. God has placed us here in this time of our li- at this time in our lives. Sometimes I think as much for us if not more, uh, than for you. You have prayed for me and my family. Many of you know things about me that very few other people know. Leslie and I are both full-time students, and and we wouldn't be able to to do what we do if it weren't for some of uh, Christian and and the Rinks and the Busbys and, and, and so many others who step in and say, hey, you know, we'll watch Jamin or... You know, and that, that's just that, that help and that, that encouragement and support that we find through so many of our church family. Nowadays, the phrase living life together has become somewhat of a cliche, but as far as I'm concerned, that phrase best encompasses the idea of Christian fellowship. Living life together. Where you are, without hiding, without pretense, without pretending that you don't have needs, but just being there, living life, serving one another, helping one another in unity and in fellowship. 
I hope that you can look at your own lives and see where God has placed His people in your life to help you, to encourage you, to support you, and to be there for you. We've all heard the question asked, how does anyone make it through life's most difficult times without a church family to rely on? And honestly, I don't have an answer to that question tonight. I know that Leslie and I would not be able to make it doing all that we do without the fellowship God has provided us. Number five, this life is a life of opportunity. Acts 2, 4 through 6. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, that power, and they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. What we see here in this Acts account of Pentecost is the first small group of Christians placed at the right place at the right time for God to literally evangelize the world. What an opportunity, right? God using His unified believers in Christ, using His church to fulfill His mission. What an opportunity. We also see in Acts 3, 1-8, a story where now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who had been lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them walking, leaping, and praising God. God provided Peter and John an opportunity to facilitate this man's life being changed. What we see in these two passages of Scripture is that God is an opportunistic God. He loves to put His glory on display so that men and women will be drawn to Him. In both of these passages of Scripture, we see that God worked through His followers' circumstances to use them to accomplish His mission. In both instances, the end result was that men and women placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you see how it all keeps coming back to the mission? When we as a church align ourselves up with Christ's mission, we don't have to worry about not having enough to do. God will take care of that. When we have devoted ourselves to loving God and serving others, I promise that you'll begin wishing for a 30-hour day. There's just that many opportunities to serve, that many opportunities to love and, and to give. One of my favorite books is called Seizing Your Divine Moment by Erwin McManus. It was republished um, under the title Chasing Daylight. If you have an opportunity to read it, I strongly encourage you to do that. But 
the entire premise of the book is that there is infinite potential for God to work through even the most seemingly mundane and ordinary moments in our lives. I can't tell you how many times I've been surprised by God's opportunity to do something for someone else. Sadly, I also can't tell you how many times I've been so focused on myself that I've missed out on opportunities to serve someone or meet someone else's needs. But this life is a life of endless opportunities. Endless opportunities to to go and to serve and and to be used by God and to find enjoyment and fulfillment in in sacrificing and in serving and loving and being loved. And, And it's just, this life is a life of great opportunity. And then lastly, number six. This is a life of obedience. Look at Acts 4, 19-20. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have heard and seen. Acts 5.21, in our passage of Scripture, after the the uh, angel of the Lord had given them the instructions to go into the temple complex and to tell the people all about this life. This is what we see the apostles doing in Acts 5.21. In obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. Can I tell you tonight that obedience is the key to happiness? When we look back at the first century church in Acts, what we see is not a perfect group of people who had it all together. No, in fact, we see a lot of confusion and struggle. We see, we see a lot of persecution and conflict. We see that sin was present and that the church had to deal with the challenges of how to manage its explosive growth as well as, as violent opposition it encountered on a regular basis. So we don't see this, this perfect scenario to where it was easy to obey Christ. I mean, men and women were giving their lives literally at the stake of martyrdom to be obedient to Christ. But the golden thread that helps the church press through all of its difficult circumstances is its unwavering commitment to obedience. Where would we be today if Peter and John had ignored the command of Christ and gave in to the Sanhedrin's order to stop preaching? Where would we be today if those first missionaries hadn't taken the gospel to the nations? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that every single one of us in here who knows Christ today can thank someone else for being obedient to the Lord? That the church moves into the future with success only because of its obedience to Christ? Christ's church is called to obedience. Jesus asked the rhetorical question, Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? You see, God desires a people who will accomplish His mission by being obedient to Him. Leslie and I are struggling as parents right now to help Jamin understand this concept. 
We know what is good for our son. We know what will keep him safe and healthy. We also know what he likes. We know how to bring him enjoyment and happiness. So all we ask of Jamin is that he obeys our instructions when we give them to him. I can't tell you how many times I, you know, he, he's been jumping off of the ceiling fan or something in the living room and, and you know, just, just going crazy. And, and I'll tell him, Jamie, you need to stop doing that. I mean, we usually let him jump off the couch onto the cushions and stuff. That's just boy stuff. You know, forgive me if you disagree, but that's okay. But, but when I see him kind of taking it a step too far, I'll say, Jamin, that's enough. We need to stop now. There's a limit. You are not invincible. And more times than not, the kid will get right back up on, on the, the, the corner of the couch and he'll do this, you know, super fly schnooka dive off of, of the, the couch onto the floor and eventually he gets hurt and then he comes to one of us crying and you know what we tell him? If you had obeyed us, you wouldn't be hurt right now. If you had listened to us, you wouldn't be crying. It's the same way with the consequences we impose. Jamin, clean up your toy room. Put all your toys in the buckets. If you don't, I'm going to start taking toys away. And he, I, he is amazed at when I start taking his toys away. As if, as if that's just a foreign concept to him. You who have gone before us as parents know how that ends up. As many times as not, Jamin decides that he knows what is best. He doesn't see the big picture like we do. He doesn't understand how obeying his parents will always end in his ultimate good. I ask him sometimes, Jamin, have I ever led you wrong? Have, you know, he's four, so I know that I have to give him credit for being four, but I hope. It does get better, right, parents? No? Okay. Well, y'all pray for us. But being a parent has allowed me to understand a few things about God that otherwise I don't think I would have ever known or been able to know quite as well. And one of them is this. Listen to this. This is what I've learned as being a father. God desires my ultimate good. He is a good father who wishes to fill my life with blessing after blessing after blessing. He is gracious and He is generous. He is protective. God wants, to, God wants me to be happy, but not at the expense of my obedience to Him. When I was living in Tell City, Indiana, I worked at a Toyota subsidiary at night. And my supervisor and I became very good friends. And during the course of our friendship, he and his, his wife started to have a, a pretty rocky marriage. They started struggling and... and um, they just, they just couldn't seem to figure out a way to make it work. And so I was a minister then, and, and he would come to me, and he, he would talk, and I would pray with him, and I would encourage him to do the right thing. She's your wife. You made a commitment. You know, you not only made a commitment to her, but you made a commitment to God, and that means something. You don't just walk out on that. And this is what he would tell me. He would say, I don't believe that God wants me to be unhappy, and I'm not happy. And as lovingly as I could, which probably wasn't as loving as it should have been, I looked at him and said, no. God wants you to be holy before He wants you to be happy. And, and I, I tried to tell him that if you will stick it out through the hard times, 
If you will trust that God sees the big picture, that God has a plan to not leave you on the hook, and and God doesn't desire for you to be miserable in your marriage, but God has a plan and a desire to redeem the brokenness and to make it work. If you will just stick it out, and be devoted to the commitment you made to God and to each other, then eventually God will bring the result that you're looking for of happiness. But it doesn't happen apart from obedience to Him. You see, just like a child doesn't understand that obeying their parents will make them happier in the long run, we Christians often don't understand that being obedient to God is the key to unlocking the door of a life of joy and satisfaction found in our God. And Father, this life is one of mission, of power, of unity, of fellowship. This life is a life of opportunity and obedience. If you're here this morning or this evening, and you have heard the gospel, or then you have heard the gospel. You have heard that God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins so that if you put your trust in Him, confess Him as your Savior, then you can be saved. Tonight, you have heard what life after conversion is supposed to be like as the church. Well, part of it at least. The other six we'll save for another time. Maybe you were here tonight and you have been sitting on the fence about giving your life to the Lord and once again, the Holy Spirit is calling you to salvation. Or maybe you're here tonight and and you've been disenfranchised from the church for whatever reason and you need a church home to call your own, to get plugged in and and to start living in this obedient life of, of being the church. Or maybe you've been sitting in this church for years and know that you've been disobedient to the Lord in some area of your life. Brother Curtis and Miss Terry are going to come and and they're going to give us a hymn of invitation. And during that time, I encourage you to come and to respond to how the Lord is leading you to respond. Why don't you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. And just during this time of invitation, reflect on, on your life as a member of the church. How well are you fulfilling that mission? How well are you living in the power of Christ, unified with His body, in fellowship with believers? How often do you see yourself walking into the opportunities that God has provided for you? And when you see those opportunities, have you been obedient? Are you being obedient to now? Whatever circumstance, whatever it is going on in your life, is there, is there an area that you need to come to the altar tonight to repent of disobedience and, and to redirect your life in the direction that God would have you go? Let's pray.